All right, guys. Market news. Number one on a list of 10, crypto lenders demand more than 100 million in margin calls. Yeah, well, uh, considering the fact that uh, the markets tanked, like every other market did uh, in the world, essentially, I'm sure there's a, like one or two markets that probably went up in value. Uh, you know, small markets, you know, some somewhere in the world, but uh, major indices, uh, bond markets, everything pretty much died, crypto included. Um, so yeah, 100 million in margin calls. It actually doesn't seem like all that much considering the market cap, the size of the market cap versus the the amount of the big hit we took. 100 million doesn't sound all that bad. Um, I've been, I, you know, when lending first came out, I always said in a volatile industry, you have a loan to value ratio of 50, 70 percent. Um, doesn't take much volatility to give an issue, to put, put an issue on the table. Obviously, I don't know if we have a story here if, or if this story may tie into maker or maker die where basically Maker almost blew up um, because the the people were buying collateral uh, for, for zero uh, on their auction marketplace. So um, just goes to show that we haven't created a solution yet, guys. What we thought was a great solution has been proven not to be so great, uh, but at least people are learning from their mistakes, and hopefully this will lead to better products, better services, better structures in the future. Number two on the list of 10, BitMEX insurance tags all-time high. A fund tags all-time high. Uh, Binance and Deribit inject millions. Yeah, again, uh, market tanks. Lots of people get stopped out. Lots of people with negative balances. Lots of slippage. There you go. It's great that you know to a certain extent. Obviously, most of these guys created these insurance funds, quote unquote. One, let's look at this on the nice side of the fence. One, because there was no insurance funds offered to them because one, they're not regulated for the most part. Two, um, there is no real insurance fund structure for, well, crypto derivatives firms. So they created their own. Let's look on the actual real side of the fence now, saying that they did this mainly for a marketing ploy, right? Because uh, you say, well, you know, we're, we have an insurance fund. We put some of our profits there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, most of those profits coming from the fact that they, they more than likely are B-booking. 100% of all the trades that flow in on high leverage contracts, which basically means that they're not going anywhere. They're not matched to shit. They're matched to nothing. And when people get stopped out, when people get, uh, what was our term last week? Liquidated. Uh, Kevin explains crypto from last week. Look it up if you don't know what that one means. We have a video somewhere, somewhere, somewhere on YouTube. Um, I'm sure you would be able to find it. Um, but the reason people get liquidated, they make that money. So they take a small bit of your money they stole from you the week before, not stole, the, the money they, they basically ripped out of your pocket the week before or the day before or the minute before, stick it in a fund, a percentage of it, very small percentage of it, uh, and then give it back to you when you go into negative balance territory. Isn't that nice of them? Uh, number three in a list of 10, institutional traders cause the Bitcoin price drop, chain analysis claims. So I looked at this one because I, we use chain analysis and I was interested to see what kind of... Uh, hardcore details I was going to read. Now, this could be just the shitty article I read. Um, but basically, what it says is that they believe that because I think seven out of 10 transfers when the when the price was tanking uh, were between 10 and 1000 BTC. So what? What does that mean? Does that does that really uh, is, that, is that how they came to a conclusion that most of the, the fall was because of institutional traders? Look, guys, when the fall now, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against the fact that a good deal of money that flowed out of the market was from institutional traders. 
mainly because the reason why they had money in Bitcoin is because it was supposed to not correlate to other financial markets. Then it started to correlate. So when it correlated, uh, guess what happened? They said, oh, shit, we were wrong. And they started to sell. That pushed the market lower. Capitulation basically kicked in for retail guys as well. Fear-based capitulation. And everybody started selling. So, But a, a, a little piece of data saying that, well, 7 in 10 transfers on chain were between 10 and 1,000 doesn't tell me much. Uh, unless normally only one in 10 transactions are between that amount. But we didn't get that data in the story. So no real way to compare. Even then, it would only be one piece of data, which wouldn't tell me with any, with you know, wouldn't relieve the doubt that this could, this, this probably or, or may not be true. Uh, number three, analyst of 10, Noriel Rubini, my pal, uh, proposes tokenized toilet paper more useful than gold. I guess he thought he was being funny. Somebody has actually already created this. There's a white paper out there for tokenized toilet paper. Um, but um, yeah, obviously this is in jest saying that, you know, kind of making fun of stable coins that are backed or not backed uh, by, by anything really. And in this case, actually backed by something. And of course, uh, toilet virtual toilet paper is not physical. So when you trade it with someone, you don't have the fear of possibly getting coronavirus on your virtual toilet paper. Um, I think this just goes to show again that Noriel misses the point sometimes. Uh, in my little debate I had with him, um, I, I, there's not a video of it, unfortunately, I don't think online, but the, there is a photo of, of him and me smiling afterwards. Um, the, uh, he misses the point on a few things. I think he, does, he, he sees what, what's occurring now in the market, and he doesn't really understand what the technology and what the use of that technology can do for financial markets in the future. He just focuses on the now. Um, which, you know, obviously that's why he's not an entrepreneur, right? Number five on the list of 10, Spanish securities watchdog halts short selling amid coronavirus caused recession. Um, yeah, well, we talked about, uh, well, we've seen in the past, what uh, was that last week or this week, circuit breakers. Well, there's been circuit breakers this week as well uh, in the U.S. that were triggered. I actually talked uh, with, um, uh, Jesus, who was I talking with? Uh, I was talking with somebody, Jesus, recently um, did an interview about circuit breakers. And, you know, the question was, you know, these don't exist. Of course, now Hoibi, I think there's probably a new story. I think that might be the next one. Um, you know, Hoibi has instituted now circuit breakers to try and stop, um, you know, markets go moving in, in, in one direction, which is usually south. I've never heard of circuit breakers when, when markets move too high, uh, you know, to the north, only when they move too far to the south, uh, meaning markets fall, they click the circuit breaker. But um, I think, you know, limiting short selling doesn't mean you can't short. Obviously, if you own the asset, you can sell it, right? You just can't go short, meaning you can't take on credit and sell something you don't own. Um, now, I guess from a free market standpoint, you could argue that, well, why can't I? Why that You're, you're limiting the access to the free market. On this point, though, I would have to say that uh, considering the crisis that exists, they probably made the right move, though it's going to be controversial. And it's controversial in, in, in one way, because if the market had gone up 40%, would they stop people from buying? They stop people from buying on leverage? No. Is that not just as dangerous, buying on leverage in a 40% move over a few days than selling on leverage? Of course it is. From the trader perspective, it's just as risky. But but where, where it isn't risky is the effect on the, on the actual economy, right? So that's why they don't care. Um, so it just goes to show that some rules are in place. They're not impartial. They're very, they're very partial rules. 
They're really focused on one side, and that simply is we don't want markets to tank so hard because it has an un, it has a very direct effect to the underlying economy. Um, and that's kind of bullshit if you think about it. Number six on the list of 10, Hoibi adds crypto circuit breaker after last, last week's mass liquidations. I'm sure Hoibi is going to get a whole ton of shit uh, from this one. Um, and I guess they probably should. Uh, they're the first ones to do it. Um, look, I think, you know, as these, as there's two ways to go with this market. Either we stay as an unregulated, uh, fully open, nobody cares, do what you want, use car salesman owning exchange type of business, or we move into the more um, mature institutional money really wants to get in here net trillion dollar euro marketplace. And to do that, it's, go it's going to mean that a lot of the rules that are applied to those traditional markets will be applied to this market. So when our kids and grandkids are trading tokenized assets in the future, it is the traditional market, which means circuit breakers are probably going to be on every platform, every regulated platform at some point. Either that, or we get rid of them entirely, even in what is currently our traditional market and what may eventually become uh, a fully tokenized market. Um, so the question is, which one works? We instituted those things for a reason, and they seem to work. Um, now, if we get rid of them again, what will be the cause? Well, we saw the cause in the crypto market, right? You see different platforms where prices can go down to almost close to zero because there's no liquidity or there's less liquidity on that single platform, even though on other platforms that doesn't happen, or at least to the same extent. So that also leads to another question. Do we, come, do, do we get rid of this OTC pricing model? Are we going to have a centralized main exchange for pricing, not necessarily for trading, but for price discovery, is that going to happen? It probably should if we're going to have a more mature globalized globalized market, globalized market or global market. Sorry, um, but let's see what happens. Uh, but Hoiby, some balls, some balls from Hoiby to be able to do this to, to take the step to do it. Well, you could also argue that they have no balls, and that's why they did it. I don't know which side of the fence you're on on that one. From a from a kind of business angle, it's both. Right. We don't want to get so many liquidations that lead to negative balances that we're going to have to actually pay. But from a from a PR perspective, it takes a bit of balls to do that first, because you can get a lot of backlash from the crypto community. That's for sure. Number seven on list of 10, Venezuela shuts down banks amid panic. <laughs> Venezuelan bank. That's an oxymoron for you. Right. I mean, is there really money in Venezuelan banks? I mean, is is the boulevard really money? I mean, can we define it as money? Um, it's definitely not stable. I wouldn't call it stable. That's for sure. Um, look, Venezuela, look, you have a country that's, well, this, this is, a, this is a dictatorship, not really a country to be quite honest. Um, and yeah, they shut down banks. Was that expected? Of course it was. Um, of course it was expected. Why? Because the banks that the, the cool thing about having banks that aren't owned by the government is the banks have to take the heat. Now you could argue that in modern times we have something called a bailout which means that the taxpayer ends up footing the bill for the bank's really bad risk policies, right? But at least those banks could actually create and, 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 and follow their own risk policies, of course, based on a regulatory uh, set of guidelines. But in a, in a country where all banks are state-run, well, this is what happens. One guy throws the gavel down and all banks are shut down. So again, neither of those is perfect. Actually, they both kind of suck for different reasons. Um, but has Bitcoin, has crypto really proven yet that it's an alternative? I'm not sure it has, right? What, what happened when, when the shit hit the fan, you know, 10 days ago, everybody went to cash, right? Nobody stayed in Bitcoin. Well, some people did, <laughs> but lots of people sold, right? Vis-a-vis -vis 
the market crash. Uh, number eight in the list of 10, Peter Brandt touts zero as Bitcoin's potential bottom. And he's correct. If anybody thinks it's not possible that Bitcoin could hit zero, then they're delusional. Is it probable is the real question. I would say that it's not probable, at least under current market conditions, that it would hit zero. But it, it, it definitely is possible. Of course it's possible. How could it not be possible? G give me one good reason why it's not possible. And I won't even wait because there isn't one. Uh, number nine, a list of 10, Congress proposal to give everyone $2,000 a month strengthens bit, uh, case for Bitcoin. I didn't see $2,000 a month. Uh, and there's a U.S. Congress or what is this? I would imagine. I saw this, uh, what, like 4.5K per adult, 1K per child or something like that. Anyway, the, 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 the real crux of the story is, is that printing more money is going to devalue the currency. It means pricing will go up. You will get more money circulating in the, in the, in the economy for short term. Pricing will go up because the, the currency itself will deflate, or, which will create an inflation in prices. And then eventually the money stops. So now the, 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 basically the powers that be have to, make one, have to make a decision. Do they continue to print more money and devalue the currency until it's literally worthless, like you've seen in Zimbabwe and other places around the world in modern times? Or do you stop printing and wait for the markets to basically reset and find true value, true prices, which obviously is going to cause a lot of pain and piss off a lot of voters. No country has ever chosen that, that second one, by the way. They've all always just decided to print until oblivion. Uh, so I would assume that's probably what uh, every country would choose. We're now in a situation, though, where the entire world, to a certain extent, is seeing the type of issues that these economies, these micro economies have seen, where they've had to devalue the shit out of their currency. Um, so obviously spreading the wealth, um, in an election year, uh, may sound great to some, though will probably end up causing more heartache, uh, than it does, uh, problem solving at, at the end of the day. But how do you explain that to people? Most people don't understand how economies work, right? Just give me the money. I, I could use the money, right? To be honest, why don't they just liquidate everybody's debt? I mean, screw it, right? You're already just giving out money, you know? all over the place for no reason, right? Well, not for no reason, but you're already just adding a trillion to the deficit or more, two trillion, three trillion, 10 trillion, you know, whatever it ends up being at the end of the day, just, just put all our debts to zero. I'd be, why not? Let's all start from a zero slate. Everybody saw a fight club, right? Not everybody, but some of you guys had to see fight club, right? Premise of fight club, right? Get everybody to start from zero. Let's see what happens. I can almost guarantee you it wouldn't work. Uh, but, you know, I'm willing to take that experiment, you know? Why not? Everybody can just liquidate my debt. Go ahead. Go for it. Put it all at zero. Let's see what happens. Number 10 on a list of 10, Hawaii launches digital currency sandbox to attract crypto firms. They actually sent them an email today, actually. Um, so uh, it's, 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 you know, you guys know what we're doing in Montenegro. Well, anybody that's been here before knows what we're doing in Montenegro. Sandbox, capital market infrastructure, everything from primary market to settlement to secondary market, all inside, all on DLT. Great. Now, that's in Montenegro. We'd love to do that in the U.S. We're in talks right now back and forth between the SEC using a legal firm in the U.S. to see how we can possibly get no action relief from the SEC to do the same thing in the U.S. This may be a way to do it, albeit maybe only on a statewide level. Now, in the U.S., state law you know, prevails over federal law in many instances, at least inside that specific state, 
When it comes to the currency exchange business, you have something called what it, every U.S. state has something called MSB licenses, money service business licenses. And then there's FinCEN, which is where you have to register on a federal level as a money service business. As a currency exchange or a crypto exchange facility, you're considered to be a money service business. However, if you're exempted from the Hawaii uh, regulator, that doesn't exempt you from every other state. But you may be able to do a crypto exchange if you don't have a physical presence in any of those other states. However, except maybe New York. However, uh, what about trading of securities? Because the SEC does have federal jurisdiction. They have jurisdiction over the entire country, not just one state. So anyway, I sent them an email seeing if they'd be willing to kind of allow us to test this ecosystem in Hawaii and what their views on whether the fact if we could actually test it to its full capabilities based on the fact that the SEC is really the, the, the regulator uh, that covers these type of operations. So we'll have to see what they say. But it's, in it's interesting. It's, it's good to see. Um, it's not really a sandbox. So in your, just to explain the difference, sandbox, there, there's not much of a difference, but the terminology is different. A sandbox is essentially a place that has a specific type of regulatory rules in a box. You can't go outside that box. You're usually limited to what you can do. And the time frames are six months to a year for the most part. In Hawaii, in the U.S., they don't do sandboxes. They do something called no action relief. You're given a letter, kind of like Switzerland does the same thing. You're given a letter from the regulator that says, look, you can, you can do this particular business. You can run it, usually it's two years, for up to two years. And, is, and, and you still have to you know, adhere to these regulations that don't apply to, let's say, the specific regulator. Like, you, you know, you still have to do AML and KYC and you still have to abide by company rules and things like that. But you don't have, but you give, you get, you're given specific relief for a specific set of regulations. So it's no action relief. It's not really a sandbox, but they're very similar in how they operate. All right, guys, check you later. Cheers.